Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I welcome you. Our study this morning, we're going to turn, I invite you to go in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. That's where we'll be today, chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. We are coming to the close of uh, this time, going through our series on our five distinctives. Who are we? Why are we here? And what are we supposed to be doing? What is the DNA of our church? And we are praying that God will uh, continue to allow us to increase in health, good biblical spiritual health and effectiveness to those who are around us, all around us. We just sang that even this morning. The story of the founding of this church is really quite interesting. It's quite incredible that it was 60 years ago now, right about now, that the original 50 founding members, I have the document here, all of their signatures are here, their names, they were preparing to launch this church. And this church was launched in, uh, on April 15th, 1962. And so this is, uh, this is encouraging for us. It's helpful for us to remember what God has done. Do you realize when this church, there were, there were these 50 members, the original charter members, uh, names all right here, their signatures, and what they did is they took all of these 50 and they said, where do you live? Where do you live? And they placed them on a map. And then they drew a circle around these people, around these uh, homes. And in the middle of that, on the map, the city was Richmond. That's what led them to look for property here. So when they found this building, when they found it available, they sacrificially gave 1962 the cost was $12,500 for this building and the parsonage next door, and the rest is history. Now, five years ago, it just popped up on my Facebook page, five years ago, yesterday, we held a church business meeting, and in that business meeting, we had two main items to cover. One was changing our name to Grace Community Church. So I believe in, in, our, in our church's history, that's our, this is our third name. It started out Community Christian, and then it was Community Baptist, and now Grace Community Church. There was one other item that was very important five years ago, and that was the church voted to purchase the property, the five acres where our office is now, and where the 10 acres, we are developing the plans, where now the pole barn has been built, and we're so thankful for what God has done and for what he is doing right now in your lives and in your families and what he is going to do in the future. And I want to share with you from this document because it fits very well with our five distinctives. When, a, when an organization is found, you have to tell what, what are you going to do? Who are you and what are you going to do? And so this is what was stated right here in this typewriter font uh, 60 years ago. Why another church. Why do we need another church? Why plant a church? This is the answer to that. To provide a place of holy worship unto God and true fellowship for all Christians who believe and sustain the fundamental truth of the Bible. To provide preaching and teaching of God's word without bias or respect of persons in, earnest, in an earnest desire to help souls and to that end to use and employ all means of intelligence and communications which are now or which may be hereafter available to us. In the spoken, written, or printed word and in the facilities of radio broadcasting and television, YouTube, <laughs> the internet, to encourage and promote the evangelization of Richmond and any other place where opportunity shall afford, particularly by, listen to this now, the establishing of sister churches. 
and providing for the sending forth and support of qualified ministers and Christian workers. I'm amazed at what they, what they put together in this founding document. We, we talked about this 10 years ago at our 50th anniversary. They were moved to purchase, acquire, own, use, operate, manage, sell, mortgage, pledge, hypothecate, that's a word you can work on, lease, rent, hold, and trust, or what uh, otherwise dispose of real and personal property, tangible and intangible, and the evidence of title the same. In other words, we're going to do whatever it takes. Borrow money, issue, sell, pledge, bonds, promissory notes, bills of exchange, do whatever it takes, and this is what it says, to do every act and thing which shall be or which shall be deemed to be requisite, necessary, or essential to accomplish the purposes herein set forth. No wonder God answered the prayer that we prayed 16 years ago. Lord, would you give us a place that will love your word, gather to hear your word, will love us, this is the part two, will love us for who we are, not think, you know, well, our, our founding pastor, and then you have to be him. I can't, no one else can be somebody else, but love us for who we are and love and have a heart for evangelization. Those were the three specific prayers that we prayed for. Check, check, check. The Lord answers prayer. Amen? Now, look at, look at our five distinctives and tell me if this doesn't just flesh out and we have not departed from the guardrails that hold us to what the original intent was of the founding of this church. Christ-centered preaching. It all starts from there. And we talked about that, to boldly proclaim the word of God, the truth. Passionate worship. Lifting high the name of Jesus in spirit and truth, fervent prayer. What can we do without prayer apart from prayer? Nothing. Courageous evangelism. We looked at this last Sunday. All of these sermons are online. If you look in that Friday email, you can find the link, whether you use an iPhone or you have an Android. You can get the, the podcast. You can listen to them while you're driving, while you're mowing, whatever you may be doing in the week. And this morning we come to number five, purposeful disciple making. And this requires intentionality. Making disciples will not happen by chance, beloved. It will not happen with our leftover time and it will not happen with leftover resources. It will not happen if it is not the main thing, prioritized. Making disciples locally and around the world. So let me give to you again a practical, uh, biblical working definition of discipleship. It comes from Mark Dever. If you're looking for a, a great study to go through, I've gone through this with men before, uh, Discipling by Mike De Mark Dever. It's one of these uh, nine marks book, healthy little, just easy read, but it's so instructive. This is what he says, discipling others, doing deliberate spiritual good to help others follow Christ. Doing deliberate spiritual good, that's intentional. It's focused. It's not just doing good to be a good neighbor or good, good deeds. It's intentional spiritual good to help others follow Christ. And that's where we have to do inventory. Do I want to help others follow Christ? Well, yes, of course I do. Then what am I doing intentionally, spiritually to help them do so? Um, I haven't quite thought of that. Well, that's, you're welcome. That's why we're here today, okay? That's what we'll be handling in our small groups. Bill Hull gives a definition. I've given it to you before. Disciple-making included, here's what it is, introducing people to Christ. Understand this. No one is born a Christian. There is not one person that has, has known Christ all of their lives. If there were that person, we don't need, the, we don't need making disciples and we don't need evangelism. We are born sinners, and sinners need to understand you are not good enough on your own. You need Christ. So this is where we introduce people to Christ. They come to faith in Christ, build them up in their faith, and send them into the harvest field. It's very simple, but I'm going to say it multiple different ways today, and we'll see it from our text to help us really come to terms with what is it for us to be making disciples. Our church is not our church. 
That's one of the first things that I changed as a pastor when I came is when we sent out a letter for a business meeting and it said, we want to come hear your will. Make sure you're there. Edit, edit, scratch, change, no. We are coming to discern what is God's will and as members, we submit to that. Let's hear what God, it's heaven down, not, not pew up in, le, in leading. What has God set out? What has he said? Do we understand it? How do we obey the word of God as, as, it, as it is clearly given to us? So we worship together, we walk together, and we work together. This is God's church. Think about this privilege that you have, that I have to be part of God's holy building. And we're not talking about the structure. We're talking about the people the redeemed children of God, the saints in our place here in his story to know Christ, to make him known. So understand our story, this document 60 years ago, it's part of a much bigger story. And isn't it cool to hear, you know, tell me mom and dad, how did you meet again? How did you fall in love? Where was that? Take us to the place where to, uh, in just, a, you know, not long, Ginger and I are going to make our way back to Illinois, the place we began in ministry together. And you go back to roots and you remember good times and you remember difficult times. It's all of those things together and God's sovereign hand is working through all of it. And how faithful he has been. How roller coaster I can be. You know, up and down is great, not great. Up, down, up, down. He is faithful. In our text today, we're seeing, we're going back to the beginning of the ultimate story of the church. This is our story as well. This is, here we are 2,000 years later, and we're not coming up with anything new. Our goal is to be faithful. The birth of the church that happened there in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, Jesus ascended, he sent his spirit, the disciples stepped out of, in faith and obedience and they boldly preached Christ. They evangelized and they made disciples and we're here. The person next to you is here 2,000 years later because someone was obedient. What if we carry that out? Who will be here 2,000 years from now should Jesus tarry because we've been obedient and part of this process? You think they were thinking this? Well, we're gonna see in the text is so clear. Let's look in Acts chapter one, the day that Jesus left. Goodbyes are not easy, are they? This is a day that Jesus left. Acts chapter one, just beginning in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God. Imagine what it was like to be there that day. We're gonna see this unfold and we, you and I, we weren't there that day. But we can, we can grasp a little bit of what they dealt with and what they felt and what they experienced when Jesus left them. Jesus ascended. They had a job to do, but it didn't seem very clear that day, how are we gonna do this? And are you kidding me? He just left. All right. Let's unpack this together. We will be intentional about making disciples right here and around the world, all right, locally and globally. It's not enough to, well, I, I give to missions. You know, our church is part of missions and that takes care of it. You know, God bless the Shahs in India. Amen. I've done my part. No, that's part of it, but it's not the end of it. How are we involved in making disciples here locally and globally? Number one, starting point, our will is submitted to God the Father. 
And this is what we see happening in the lives of the disciples, of the apostles. Our will must be submitted to the Father. Plain and simple, discipleship will never happen without surrender. If you and I are not surrendered, we will not be devoted to making disciples. So the starting point, when they come together, they asked him, Lord, it's time, right? You're ready to reign and rule, right? And we're your guys. We're about to show everybody you rose from the dead. It's about to be on, right, Jesus? Fire, lightning, we've heard, we've read Elijah. It's go time, right, Jesus? Oh, uh, yes, it is go time for me and later for you. What are you talking about? When we understand what they were dealing with, the disciples were left there, and we have to, first of all, take inventory of all that I want. There's, there's something colliding, and it's my will and God's will, and it happens in your heart and life too. So we need to take inventory. What exactly is my will? The disciples we hear, they're still under the pressure with the question they ask, hey, it's about time, right? We're about to be in charge of the world, right, Jesus? And we're your guys. This is amazing. But that wasn't the plan. They were still seeing themselves as the center of all things. That Jesus was going to do their will. That Jesus was going to accomplish, we're in charge now. Patriotism. Nationalism. Finally, we're going to be in charge. Doesn't this happen about every two to four years? Our party will finally be in charge. And things are going to change. Okay, let me introduce you to the disciples. Don't ever, beloved, don't ever equate a political figure and, and try to come close to Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus was like this, and my person of political power is like, don't do that. That's blasphemous. Jesus is alone in his category. He is to be worshiped and understood and glorified. And when we know him and love him, then we follow him. So let's keep this, let's, let's look at the disciples. Rome is in trouble now, right, Jesus? No more whips on our back, right, Jesus? No. No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bless that. Now, we don't know anybody that thinks like these guys, do we? Social media is filled with people who think exactly like this. Conversations around the coffee, wherever, are filled with this. So let's, let's gain the instruction that we need. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes in James 4, 1 to 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's inside of you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's now, right, Jesus? Kingdom now, right, Jesus? You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, listen to this now, makes himself an enemy of God. Mm. The inventory, take inventory of all that I want. So the question for, for me, the question for us is, have I surrendered? my desires, my plan, my will? Have I surrendered that to the Lord? Or have I just added his agenda somewhere in with mine? Try to get him to merge. A merger happened. I merged with God's plan. That's not how salvation happens. Salvation is I abandon my plan because God is worthy and he died to settle my sin account. I owe him and I give to him my life. 
Matthew 16, Jesus tells the disciples this. He says in verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will pay each person according to what he has done. So right here, the disciples may be remembering this teaching from Jesus and say, so right now you're going to repay everybody, right, Jesus? No, the Lord is merciful. He's patient. What is the purpose for my life? Why are you here? Why am I here? We have one life. You have one life. Do you know why you're here? Scripture is crystal clear about the purpose of our lives. Old Testament and New Testament. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. And this is what he says. After he's done it all, tried it all, all the relationships, immorality, infidelity, multiple, you name it. He had it all. And he says, let me boil this all down. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Here's the purpose of our lives. Fear God. That's to know him. That's to be in awe of him. It's not to live afraid of him. It's an awe and a reverence of this God who is worthy and he hasn't repaid us according to our sins, but he has come in Christ and taken our sins in our place on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day. The apostle Paul, Romans 14, 12 says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This day is coming and each of us will give account of ourselves to the Lord in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? The glory of God, to the praise of his glorious grace. You can mow your grass to the glory of God. You can fold laundry to the glory of God. You can work your job, be who you are in your family, all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what does he exactly mean by whatever? Whatever. Fill it in. So long as it pleases the Lord, do it to the glory of God. Is that our mindset? Here's what the Westminster Confession says. What is the chief end of man? All right, so this is the question posed. What is the chief end of man? Answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is where our greatest joy is. This is where our greatest purpose for life is. You can't get greater than God. There's no passion, no pleasure. There's nothing better than God. Do you know him? Have you found your reason for living? To know him and to enjoy him, not for this life, but forever and ever and ever. Now, doesn't this fit with our purpose statement? Pastor Shane put this together before I came, that we exist to, what is it? Glorify God. Well, how do we glorify God? Well, we glorify God when we reach people for Jesus Christ. We connect them with other believers. We equip them to grow in their faith. And what will then work out of that? They'll serve the one who bought them with his own blood. That's the place where we live. This is our purpose statement. How are we doing on this? Wouldn't it be a tragedy to live and miss the purpose of your life? Wouldn't it be a, wouldn't it be a tragedy to be a church and miss the purpose of the church? And flip that around to say, we exist to reach people. For what? Without the glory of God. What will you sacrifice to reach people then? If it's for the glory of the church and those who lead it. We exist to glorify God. May, may God help us in this. So we have to do inventory. Am I pursuing the immediate? 
or am I pursuing the ultimate with my life? Those two words. Am I spending my life on the immediate or am I investing my life in the ultimate? We have to take the necessary time to do the inventory. Well, what do I think about? What do I care about? What am I passionate about? What do I love? Is it the temporary or is it the eternal? I mean, what gets me fired up? What gets me up in the morning? What, where am I thinking about? Is it temporal? Is it passing? Or will it last forever? Where do I spend my time? Am I wasting my time or am I investing my time? How do I spend my money? Am I investing my money or am I wasting my money? Loved ones, we have to ask these questions. We have to take inventory. We have to press into, am I really existing for the will of God or do I really want God to simply bless my will? What am I showing as important and ultimate to those around me? Here's the reality. I can teach something. You know, there's what is taught, but then there's what is caught. And what is caught is all that is the unsaid. You remember what people say, but more importantly, you remember what they do. You remember how they are toward those around them. You remember that coach. You remember that teacher. You remember the good and, the, and sometimes not good in, in parents and, and all of our relationships. You, you remember all of these things. And so there's what is taught. Here's the information. But sometimes the information we lose track of, but we remember the person. We may remember some of the information that they taught us, but most, most often we're impacted by the people, we're impacted by them. They made a difference. Why? Because they didn't treat me like a number in the, in the class. They, they, they took time. They talked with me. They, they understood. They heard what I was struggling with, and they cared about me. I just knew they cared about me. And it maybe just wasn't because they say, I care about you. It's because they actually showed that. Aren't those the people that really impact our lives? So what we're teaching our children, parents and grandparents, we're teaching them something, but they're, they're really catching. They're going to pick up on a whole lot more than just what we say. I'll do what I say, not what I do. It doesn't work. And that's anti-Christian. So Paul says in Philippians 3.8, he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You hear what Paul has done? He said, I've filtered through what's gonna last and what is passing and I count everything that is passing as loss that I may know Christ. It's worth it. So let's take inventory of our wants. And then let's move on from there. Let's just don't stay there. The disciples didn't just stay there. Lord, it's time, right? The kingdom, right? Set my priority on what God has willed. That's where I want to move to. I want to evaluate what is it that I want in life? What is important to me? What is important to us? What is important as a family? What is important as a church? Okay, now let's run it through a grid. Now let's take it to the next step. What is the will of God? And let that be my priority. What is God's will? Now, there's two very important realms that we are unpacking again in this statement. Jesus puts it right there for us. And it's human responsibility and divine sovereignty, God's sovereignty. Jesus said to them, Acts 1-7, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And yet, people still try to pick a day when Jesus is coming back and they get people to follow him. How does this keep happening? Billboards, websites, YouTube teachers. I need to show up again with, I've been doing some Bible study that you'll never see in your Bibles, but that's okay. That's why I'm here. Send your money. Now, here's what your church won't tell you. Send your money. Like, come on. Jesus said, plain and simple, stop it, guys. Knock it off. It's not time yet. Your will is not binding upon God in heaven. He didn't ask for any permission from Peter. You mind if I create the sun and the galaxies now? Oh, there's no Peter yet. 
God was doing just fine before Peter, James, John, and anybody else came along. So let's get the perspective how amazing and sovereign this God is. The disciples came to understand this. There's a human responsibility here. We have a responsibility to carry out the Great Commission. We've been given a responsibility to make disciples. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. You're not going to leave us, Jesus. Woohoo! He just left us. I'm with you always to the end of the age. You're not, you can't do this alone. So this is a simple slide of what it looks like for discipleship. Making disciples involves going, baptizing, and teaching. And it never ends. Until Jesus returns, this is our responsibility as believers, to go, preach the gospel, tell people who've never heard. They come to faith in Christ. They're convicted of their sin. It's not just the preacher. It's not just me on Sundays. Well, that's my church does that. This is all of us. As we go out, everywhere we go, go. People come to faith in Christ. They turn from their sin. They trust in Jesus. That's what it means to be converted. No one can do that for you. Your parents couldn't run you through the water as a kid, and now that's all done. This is a personal response, a human responsibility that you have before God. And when people come to faith in Christ, what do we do next? Jesus said to baptize them. And so we go through the waters of baptism, and now what? Well, we have to teach you everything that Jesus said, and we are responsible to obey all of it. Oh, are we going to be done by lunch, Pastor? For today, we are just lay another brick today. But this is a whole lifetime. You know, that's one of the things that scared me when I was thinking about, you know, people used to say that, my dad being a pastor, are you going to be a pastor? You want to be a pastor when you grow up? My dad's office was filled with books and he was always reading. I was like, no, no, I don't want to do all that. And then think about that. If I have to think, where am I going to get a message from in this book? Now the question is shifted. I only have so much time to give a message from where in this book. And so what do we do? We just take book by book, chapter by chapter. Next week, we're going to start a study in the little letter of Jude before Revelation. Why? Why would we go there? Well, I haven't preached that one yet. And then we're going to, I think, go back to Old Testament and go to Nehemiah. Well, why not? Because I haven't preached you Nehemiah yet. I'm not done yet. As long as God gives me breath, that's... That's the expectation of the man of God is feed the people, feed the people, feed the people. Feed yourself and feed the people. So we go and we baptize and we teach. Well, there's a human responsibility, but there's another part to this, and that's God's sovereignty. There's times, Jesus says, or there's seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. This is what Moses was talking about in the Old Testament. This is the secret things. Deuteronomy 21, 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may, what's that little word right there? Do all the words of this law. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? Teach them to obey all things that I have commanded you. Okay, so what happens when people get overly excited about studying the hidden things, the secret things, they neglect the clear and revealed things. It's just too obvious. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, let's not deal with that. That's pretty obvious. What does that mean? It means like gather with brothers and sisters in Christ regularly. So let's get into when exactly will Jesus return? And what will that look like? And who are all the beasts and the nations and the, you know, those are all important. I'm not minimizing those. But to maximize the secret things and minimize the real revealed things, God's never going to show you anything beyond here. Obey. And then we'll get to those other areas. But you have to grow up and I have to grow up in the revealed things. God is sovereign and Jesus did not run from this. He didn't hide this. He didn't do fine print, small, at the bottom of the page, you know, he was very bold. And in John chapter 6, at the end of John chapter 6, a lot of people abandoned Jesus. That's too much. Check, please. I'm out. John 6, 37, 
Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will, what's the promise? Come to me. Okay, that's God's sovereignty. That's the will of the Father. All the Father gives me will come to me. But then Jesus says, and whoever comes to me, that's human responsibility. He says, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So when you look at your notes and you say, so we start discipleship with my will must be submitted to God the Father. Well, why would Pastor Wise ever ask us to do that? All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Next verse, 38, he has come to do his will. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So you see this human responsibility, it's parallel to God's sovereignty and I've heard it described like two tracks on a railway, you need both and they're not intended to come together and get them to, to agree in, in that way. They need to be side by side. God is sovereign, we have a responsibility. And Jesus clearly just lays this out. We can't come to him unless the Father draws us. And he's the one who will raise us up on the last day. And he says, and whoever comes to me, I, will know, I won't cast you out. Well, how do I know if I'm one of the chosen, Pastor? Have you heard the call of Jesus to come to him? Have you come? Have you repented and trusted in him? Well, I need to know if, have you obeyed? Have you heeded the call of Christ? Well, yes, I have. Then you've been called. It's quite simple, isn't it? And we stumble over, I need to understand God first. Okay, I can't help you there. Not at all. There's a coming day. Now, it's been said this way, an old preacher, he said, try to explain God's sovereignty and you may lose your mind. Try to explain away God's sovereignty and you will lose your salvation. You want to be in charge of your salvation? You want to be in, what are, you, what are we really that good at being in charge of? I think we need to let God be God. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Fellas, I'm almost out of here and you're still, <laughs> is it time for the kingdom now? It's now, Jesus, right? No, it's not your will. And there's a coming day. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So Matthew 25, 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Mark 13, 32, but concerning that day or the, that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Let God be God. Surrender your will to the will of God the Father. That brings us to number two. When are we going to make disciples? How are we going to be intentional? Making disciples here locally and globally. Number two is when our witness is empowered by God the Holy Spirit. It's our witness. Our will is submitted, but our witness must be empowered. We can't just do this on our own. And Jesus says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Spirit was promised to come down. Jesus promised the Spirit. He promised, you're not going to be alone. You're not going to do this alone. But they watched him ascend. The Spirit was promised to come down. This is the indwelling power of God. This is power for every single disciple of Christ. This isn't for, you know, upper-level Christians. Oh, the pastor has the Spirit. He's, I'm sure he's got all the Spirit of God. I'm just a new believer. I'm not sure how much of the Spirit I have. You have, at the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God. It isn't salvation by grace through faith, but then if you're going to get the Spirit, you've got to work for it. No. It's all of God's grace and its power for every disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus promised there's a coming comforter, there's a helper, and this helper will be given so that we can do what otherwise is impossible for us. Because Jesus said it in John 15, on your own you can do nothing. 
You have to have power from on high. You have to have power from the third person of the Trinity indwelling you. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you if you are a child of God. When we talk about power from on high, this brings up what the cults just hate. The Spirit is God? No, 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 no. The Spirit, Jehovah's Witnesses say, is like a a microwave force. It's like a microwave, you know? There's just hovering, it's vibrations, and... Well, that just doesn't square with Scripture. So we have to know our Bibles. He's a member of the Godhead. Acts chapter 5, the the first account of church discipline happens in Acts chapter 5, and it's Ananias and Sapphira, and they hear about there's a giving program going on at church. And, oh, Barnabas over there, he sold a piece of land, and he gave it. And everybody was like, oh, thank you, Barnabas. That's amazing. And whatever happened with Ananias and Sapphira, they're like, well, I, I want a little plaque, or I want some attention at church, so let's, you know, we'll, we'll sell something. And then they got the price back for the property they sold, and they're like, uh, did we say we were going to give all of it? I mean, I didn't know we were going to get that much. What do, you, what do you think about half? Yeah, well, I mean, we said, well, I don't know, maybe half. All right, let's do half. Oh, the half is still quite a bit. We don't even know the percentage. But somehow they came up with a percentage. Ananias shows up to first late. Uh, I could make many jokes about the husband getting there before the wife, but I'll just, I'll just let that go. Three hours later, she shows up, you know. And, but they have this whole plan, and they're stretching it out. You know, he shows up, and I've given, and, this is, and, and then Peter says this to him. Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part for yourself, part of the proceeds of the land. Well, is Peter upset that he didn't give everything? Is this communism? You're supposed to sell everything and give it all to the church. That's what it is. That, no, no. Listen to what Peter says. He explains. While it remained unsold... Did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man but to... Wait a second. He said in one verse prior, you have not li- you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And now he is saying, you have not lied to man. Your biggest problem is not with me, Ananias, an apostle. You have lied to God. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's the third person of the Trinity. And when Ananias lied to God, he lied to the Holy Spirit. And here's the divinity of the Holy Spirit that lives in every child of God. We need this power from on high. And that day, Ananias was struck down. He died, and they hauled him out. And Sapphira came in three hours later. Oh, we've sold all our property. Isn't it amazing? And everybody in the church is like, oh. You know, you can hear, dun, 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 dun. No! You sure you've sold it all? You, you sold it and you, you're bringing it all? Oh, yes, all of it. Fellas, ushers. Will you help her out? She can't move. And fear went through the church. Like, that's not a place to go play games. That's not a place to go lie and be hypocritical. This is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth, Paul wrote to Timothy. Do we understand this? The privilege that we have. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what is God doing in you, child of God? Do you, do you want to know what God is doing in you? Do you care what God is doing in you this morning? That when he saved you, that glorifies God and he put you in a place of glory in the family of God and he's not done with you. And Paul says that through all the trials and all we go through in life, he is changing us from glory to, oh, the day that we see him face to face and the work is completed, glory to glory, he's changing us. He's transforming us. And how does he use that? He uses trials. He uses suffering. He uses blessings. He uses the people sitting around you to encourage you, 
to call you back into faithfulness, to reach out to you and say, hey, where are you? Hey, how can I pray for you? I care about you. And he is changing us from glory to I can't even begin to describe the glory when we see him face to face. So the, the spirit of God was promised. This spirit is coming and this spirit will come down and this spirit will come upon you and you are going to change the world. But here we see that the gospel was planned to go out. This is the outgoing, this is the preaching. We can break this down by who, what, and where. When are they supposed to do this? Well, uh, who'd you say is gonna do this, Jesus? Uh, you, Acts 1.8 you shall receive power. I'm talking to you knuckleheads, you guys. Kingdom now, right, Jesus? No, but you. Let me tell you, your plan, that's small time. God's plan, the Father's plan is big time. Let me tell you what you're gonna do. You will, we're, we'll, we're the Lord's. He says, you will be my witnesses. In other words, we belong to him. In other words, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we're not our own. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And what was that price? The blood of Jesus. Ooh, so what am I supposed to do with this body that the Spirit of God lives in? Paul says, Glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. He bought you. Romans 14, 8, he says, hey, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then here it is. Whether we live or whether we die, check this out, gang. We're the Lord's. If you're in Christ, you're the Lord's. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. If death comes knocking today, guess what? You're still the Lord's. A million years from now, you're still the Lord's. I'm his. My times, the psalmist says, are in your hands. So that frees me up. I don't have to worry or live in fear. I talked about that last week. I can live in faith. I can walk by faith because I'm not my own. So I don't have to sit here grabbing it, grasping at time and all these resources, they're all mine, mine, mine. No, 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 no. It's all his. And he can use all of the resources that he chooses to put into my care, whether it be time, talent, treasure, children, church, to, all, to leverage it all for the glory of God and the good of man. That's what it is to make disciples. Well, who are, they? who are they? They're disciples. You're mine. What are we supposed to do? He says to the disciples, you're gonna be my witnesses. Now that word witnesses became associated with martyrdom because many of those who shared the gospel, they paid with their life. You keep telling us about Jesus and you're gonna die. And many of them did. So that word became associated with martyrdom. Well, where are we supposed to go, Jesus? He said, well, here's what we're gonna do locally and globally. And understand this, the four, the four places, the locations that Jesus gives, if you read the book of Acts, it actually is a, it tells you how the book is broken down, that the gospel went to Jerusalem, and then the gospel went to Judea, and then the gospel spread out to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So if you do like a bullseye, and you work your way out, Jerusalem, and then you're going to spread out to Judea, and then go to Samaria... There's Samaritans down there. Now the gospel is addressing and dealing with people who are hated by their race, their ethnicity, and the gospel has the only answer for that, and I'll keep saying that. And the, the gospel went there, and people are loved by God. And then where do we stop now? Go throughout the entire Roman Empire. Go to the end of the end of the world, end of the earth. Go everywhere. Wherever you find people, they need to hear this gospel. The need for churches to multiply remains intact for the church today. So we want to model that in our small groups that we want to become healthy and we want to multiply and raise up leaders and do what it, what it says right here. Send out ministers be a blessing to other ministries and other churches. 
not be a place that simply has to say, I hope someone else is trained to pastor somewhere. We need a pastor. Help. But by the grace of God and his power of his Holy Spirit, we'll say, we have three training. We have five training. We have 15. We have 50. You say, that sounds impossible. Yeah, it is. Humanly. But it's not impossible when you have the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead and made you a child of God if you know him. That's impossible. And God specializes the impossible. Amen? So this is, this is personal here. How are we going to do this? Okay, it's going to come back on the screen again. Back to square one. This is like Monopoly. Go back to, you know, beginning. What is it called? Go back to start. Go. Go, you know, go back to go. How am I going to forget that? It's go. <laughs> Proclaim the gospel. Well, then what do we do next? Baptize anybody who comes to faith in Christ. They become part of the church. Teach them everything that Jesus said. And repeat. And repeat. And repeat. And should the Lord tarry, and you have grandchildren, and I have grandchildren, what are they, hopefully, by God's grace, what are they going to be doing? That! Everywhere. Everywhere. So how are we doing? How are we doing at making disciples locally and globally? And you know, when we break this down, our discipleship pathway, then we break down our purpose statement, well, what are we going to do? We're going to reach people for Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? That's through conversion and baptism. Then when they come into membership and we plug them into a small group, that's where they get connected. Um, yep, and then and the next, next one for me, reach, connect, equip is what we're doing today. And in small groups, you're under the teaching. This is equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, gathering small groups and gifts are being used. And we serve. We serve. We serve together. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, now all of those will come up on, on just like a stair step. Reach, connect, equip, serve. You are somewhere on this pathway. Or you might be just off to the side of it because you haven't yet turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's where you are today is you hear the gospel and you hear that Christ died for you. And we, I'm trying to reach you. Newsflash, this is just full disclaimer. I don't want you to die unreached. I want you to come to faith in Christ. And when you come to faith in Christ, you come in, you get baptized, you come into membership, you come into this body of believers or wherever you may be hearing a message, a local church where you can be discipled and you're equipped and you use your gifts and you serve. Where are you in this process this morning, loved ones? Well, I've been reached, but I haven't joined yet. Okay, well, there, now you've identified. This is where I am in my discipleship, in my growing because we, don't, we just don't use random people in serving. It's those who are members and committed and we know them and, and they we have trust and we have a relationship together and we serve and the whole body is strengthened as every member is serving. Where are you in this process? It's personal. Now, I will tell you this. There are people, there are people who will look at this and say, well, um, I've been reached. I'm a member of my church. Um, yeah, I've been equipped. I know my Bible. Maybe I'm not as faithful as I should be to be under the teaching of the word. I'm not in a small group right now, living a little isolated, serving. I don't have time to serve. Pastor, I got so many things going on in my life. I mean, I, I just hardly have time to be equipped. You know, I am so busy. I am so, my, my life is so important that I'm even losing connection with my church. You understand how serious this is? When a member of the body is not healthy, the whole body suffers. You don't believe me? Kick your toe on something, the little toe the littlest toe. Tell me your whole body doesn't care about that toe. This has been most challenging for pastors in churches. The past year and a half, dealing with the virus and all the changing difficulty with it, all the amped up emotions about it. 
I have a great concern for believers who are not connected. But my concern is actually for those as well who were before there was ever a virus. They were struggling with this then. And listen to what Jesus says because he doesn't, he doesn't hide anything. Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verse 15 through 24, he says this. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Isn't it time for the kingdom of God now, Jesus? But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, invited many, and, invi um, and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, oh, I've bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. Please have me excused. You know, I got to check this harvest out, Lord. It's going to be a long year. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Don't you wish Jesus would have put a parentheses behind that? Like, she won't let me. We're going on a honeymoon. What, like, why? Why can't you come? She said, I can't. I don't know. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Why? That my house may be filled. What's the heart of the father? A full house and not just here in church. We're talking about the father's family. We're going to spend forever with this family. He says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. That's why I connect it with people who say, don't worry about me. I was baptized as a kid. Don't worry about me. I'm religious. Don't worry about me. I'm a member over at that church. Don't worry about me. I know all the right things. How are we doing personally in our discipleship, loved ones? how easy it is to make excuses as we inventory what it is that we have to do and I have to be there and I have to have the kids over there and I have to be over there for this and that and the other. And it almost appears like we're back at trying to reach that individual or that family again. Well, we're gonna be intentional about making disciples here and around the world when we submit our will to the Father when our witness is empowered by the Spirit, and lastly, our waiting is invested through serving God the Son. This is where they're left on the hillside. Jesus has ascended. Verse 9, when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So there they are. They watched Jesus supernaturally return to heaven. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Okay, notice Jesus wasn't just taken from their sight this time. He didn't just vanish and just appear. Now he ascends to heaven. They watch him go up. This one's different. It's not just that he, we were in the room and the door was closed and then Jesus was there and then he's gone, taken from their sight. They're watching him. This is unique. This is different. He's ascending and they haven't seen this happen before. Something's different going on here. And they, they see him ascend into heaven, taken out of their sight. This is supernatural what's happening here. And there they are, they're waiting. They're waiting idly. Their eyes are fixed on the skies. Verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Okay, there they are. Jesus ascends. They're watching him ascend, and they proceed to just stare into the heavens. Like, you see him yet? I don't see him. You see him? I don't see him. Hey, you two guys in the white robe, you see him? Who are you? Who invited them? 
And they're just, they're just, is he coming back yet? Now? You ever done that to a kid? You're in timeout. Is it, are we done now? Are we done now? You know, we're going to go to grandma's. All right, time to leave? Time to leave? No. Time to leave? Time to leave? Not yet. Time to leave? How about now? How about now? How about now? Ah, that's what they're doing. They're, they're looking up into heaven. You see him? Is he back? Is he coming? You see him? Is he coming back? How long is this going to be? You ever feel like we're waiting for Jesus to return and it's been a while? Yeah, that's how they felt that afternoon. They're waiting, but they're waiting idly. Their eyes are fixed on the skies. What about that cloud? What about over there? You see them over there? They're just looking, but they're not doing anything yet. And they've pretty much forgotten everything Jesus said. They're just waiting, except he's going to come back. He said he's going to come back. You see him? I don't see him. And this is almost comical here. Because then these, these two men stood by them in white robes and said this to them. I don't know if they cleared their throat or not, you know. <clears throat> Fellas, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Okay, they're just standing there. Just look. I don't know. I, I want to see how they did that. Like, guys, why are you standing here looking into heaven? Because Jesus just went to heaven and he said he's coming back. It's a rhetorical question. They didn't really want them to answer. But then they give them this promise. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, remember, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this is where it all changes because then they remember Jesus. They waited actively when their eyes became fixed on, not the skies, not the times, not the political environment, not their national heritage, when their eyes became fixed on Jesus, the ascended Son of God, they waited actively. They began to serve when the Holy Spirit came, and the whole rest of the book plays this out. They followed Jesus' instructions. They went back, they waited together in the upper room, and they were praying, and there's about 120 disciples, Acts chapter 1. Then the Spirit comes, Acts chapter 2, and Peter, he steps up and he preaches. And 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. One day, one sermon. And Acts chapter 3 and on through the rest of the book, it moves out through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the beginning to the uttermost parts of the earth in one book. The church is born, grown up, and growing everywhere. This is amazing. They were Christ-centered in their preaching. They were passionate in their worship. They were fervent in their prayer. They were courageous in their evangelism, and they were purposeful in their disciple-making. They were waiting actively. They were investing their lives through serving Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews sums it up, what it is to be like this. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, loved ones, may we fix our eyes on Jesus. May we fix our eyes on Jesus and we will be intentional about making disciples right here and around the world when our will is submitted to the will of God the Father when our witness is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and when our waiting isn't waiting, looking at the skies, looking at the news, looking at the times, looking at all of the million things that we can look at, it's our eyes fixed on Jesus will invest our lives in serving God the Son. We can't do this apart from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we're His. We belong to Him. So can we ask ourselves these questions? Bring these into small group together and, and talk about these. Where do I struggle with seeking my own way instead of God's will? How do I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me in witnessing? What am I trying to do on my own? What am I just not even trying to do? I need his help, his spirit. And then what is my next step on this discipleship pathway? 
How am I helping someone else to follow Christ? Helping someone else to know, love, and follow Jesus. And may we be devoted to that. Amen? Amen. Aren't you thankful that this was all in the DNA 60 years ago of the founding 50 members of this church? We're not to think of something new. Just be faithful to what is trustworthy and contend for the faith. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, oh, you are worthy and you are awesome that we can even call you our Father. It's all a gift of the Son. Lord, will you help us as a church? Help me, Lord, as a man, as a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a pastor. There's plenty of opportunities, plenty of ways that I fail where I lose sight of helping others follow Christ. So we, we bring that, Lord, I bring that to you. And I thank you, Lord, that, that we can trust and we can have confidence that you care what's going on in our lives and you are calling men and women of all ages and all races and all religious backgrounds to come and worship Jesus. And you want to and you will use us in this process. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. So we say with Paul and I pray with Paul, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.